0: Good evening. Welcome. Uh, Dave's already welcomed you, but let me extend it uh, as we gather together and as we tackle a mammoth of a passage uh, from Jeremiah, chapters 46 to 51. No light reading, but we'll dive in and we'll see how we get on. I arrived home this afternoon following the morning service to my next door neighbor coming out of his house with a huge box for me. It seems Partial Force had delivered it while we were off last week, and I knew exactly what it was because I'd been waiting on this package since I was told that I won a competition. You may not get excited by this, but I got really excited. I won a luxury punjana tea hamper. Brilliant. All the tea that you could want that will see us through from now until we probably end up leaving, and uh, it was great to get it. As much as I enjoy the tea, there's something in it that is of particular interest to me. I don't like just to drink tea, but I I like to know a little bit about tea, where it comes from. And this started years ago, as I began to understand how the world worked. As a baker's son, my father would take me regularly into the bakery and show me different ingredients that we would use to make different items for our bakery and sell. And he would tell me where different things came from across the world. I came from a small town in South Armagh where we didn't see very many people from outside of our country. I went to a church where we maybe had a missionary come and tell us about their work once every year. So my exposure to the world beyond Northern Ireland wasn't very great. But from a young age I enjoyed learning about things overseas and I loved looking over maps to figure out this world in which we are placed. That appetite for understanding the world in its geographical and created order has never left me. And certainly as I've come to Kirkpatrick Memorial, you as a congregation have have seen that uh, as Pamela and I make uh, preparations for our move over to Malawi uh, to be there for about five years or so. You see, whenever we look at creation, as we look at this world through the eyes of Genesis, the created order that God brought about, things that happen in certain parts of the country or of the world, temperatures that are in particular uh, continents and, and other temperatures and other continents, we begin to get a picture of a great creator God. The thing is we miss it all too often. There's some parts of the world we will never see. There's some we will, and we'll be able to stand in awe at the wonders of what God has made, but there's going to be stuff we're never going to see. But there's one thing we know whenever we read the Bible. As we read the story of God in our human history, we know that he created every aspect of this world. Nothing is beyond him. Nothing is beyond his reach. We may never meet a representative from every people group or language group of this world. But the God whom we worship and whom we serve knows each one, knows each one by name. Tonight in our passage, we're going to go through nations of the ancient world. These names are going to be familiar with you from Jeremiah 46 through to 51, some more familiar than others because these are people groups and nations who were very much involved in the life of God's chosen people, Israel. Jeremiah has a tough job. If if you've been with us as we've been looking through this book, you'll know he had the toughest of jobs imaginable. He had to declare God's words of punishment to his own people. And now there's a shift because Jeremiah is really going to take on what he was called to do in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah in that section is appointed as a prophet to the nations. It's Jeremiah's job to bring God's word to the surrounding lands. The word that is used here for nations specifically refers to the nations across the border, the others, the foreigners. Jeremiah was not appointed as a prophet to the Hebrews, nor was he installed as a chaplain to the court of Judah. He was appointed as God's prophet to the nations. And by this appointment, God was deliberately rejecting the understanding of the life of faith, that it would be identified with a particular people group and a particular place. Jeremiah was God's prophet to the nations because God is the God of the nations. At this time, all these little nations that we're going to hear about this evening had their own God. Gods of the ancient world were very much geographical a particular place, a particular time for a particular people group. But our God is not that. And that is why Jeremiah is his prophet to the nations, because he is truly the God of the nations. The ironic thing in all of this, Jeremiah never left Jerusalem There's one occasion in chapter 43 where Jeremiah is taken against his will um, to Egypt. But apart from that, Jeremiah, this prophet to the nations, never leaves Jerusalem. But Jeremiah, as we'll see, fulfills his role, even though he is stuck in one place. He does become that true prophet of God to the nations around So as we've been reading it, we know that Jeremiah has been bringing God's message to his own people. You will be punished because you have rejected God as your God. You've gone your own way. You've worshipped idols. But the good news is 70 years will pass and you will come back again. But now between 46 and 51, 10 godless nations are mentioned as Jeremiah sets his focus and mind to the known world. The two superpowers of the day, Egypt and Babylon, begin and end this group respectively. And the ten nations are the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the lands of Damascus, the lands of Kedar, the kingdoms of Hazor, the Elamites, and the Babylonians. If you know anything of the history of the children of Israel, there are some names in there that we know were very much adamantly against God's people. The total land area of these groups are 750,000 square miles. See, Israel wasn't just the center of where God had his focus. Those 750,000 square miles were the known world where God was fully aware of what was happening. Let's begin with the the eight smaller nations. Through the passages that we read from 46, uh, well, these smaller nations begin in, in 47 to 49, there's a common theme. The theme is that they will be punished. They will be punished because they are godless nations. They have rejected the one true God. They've been disobedient and they've gone their own way, wanting to satisfy themselves by what they make up. We don't have time to go through each individual nation, but here's a snapshot of what God says through Jeremiah. Moab is lamented and mourned, and Jeremiah says this, "'Yes, Moab's doom is on countdown, disaster targeted and launched. Weep for Moab, friends and neighbors, all who know how famous he's been. Lament his mighty scepter snapped in two like a toothpick that magnificent royal staff, that's Jeremiah forty eight sixteen to 17. But the last word comes in verse 47 of chapter 48. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the days to come, declares the Lord. The Ammonites are next, and they are addressed in chapter 49 and verse 3. Wail, O Heshbon, for I is destroyed. Cry out, O inhabitants of Rabbah, put on sackcloth and mourn, rush here and there inside the walls, for Molech will go into exile together with his priests and officials. A few verses down in 49, in verse 6, the final word is yet afterwards, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites, declares the Lord. Elam, is warned in verses 35 to 36 of the same chapter. See, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might. I will bring against Elam the four winds from the four quarters of the heavens. I will scatter them to the four winds, and there will not be a nation where Elam's exiles do not go. But the characteristic uh, last words that have been in the passages so far comes in verse 39. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Elam in the days to come, declares the Lord. A snapshot of what chapters 47 through to 49 look like. And although the bulk of these passages are very much judgment and punishment for these nations, there's single lines here and there that talk about salvation. And this is the message that Jeremiah has been given to the people of Israel, and it is now the message for the nations around them. It'd be quite easy for us to sit back and say, let them have it. Throw all your arsenal at them and get them off the face of the earth for their disobedience. They rightly should be punished because they have disobeyed God. If that's our thinking, then we miss the point of what God's all about. This is not a moment to sit and rub hands at God's great punishment against the nations. Because in these acts of punishment, God is showing his true character. It's one of mercy. They'll be scattered. They'll not be taken off the face of the earth. Oh, they may lose their kingdoms, their borders, and their possessions. But as people, they will not be extinguished. He shows his mercy, but even more so he shows his grace. He gives them what they do not deserve. God is showing his grace to the nations by saying salvation can yet come in the days that are ahead. This is the character of God. Even though they don't deserve it, God still provides a way of salvation for them. Why does he do this? Because he is the God of all creation, and therefore he is the God of all nations. The message of God was never just for a particular people group at a particular time. There is no doubt that the children of Israel were chosen from all the nations as God's chosen people. Not because they were the strongest, but because they were the weakest But a relationship with God was not exclusively the right of the children of Israel. Whenever you read the law and what God said to his uh, people in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's very clear that someone who discovered the true Yahweh, the true God, could come part of the community. They could become members of the community of God through the children of Israel. There were ways of them coming in to this great community. God has always been about his grace encompassing the whole earth so that the nations will be saved for him. And it's still the same for us today. We took time this morning to think about the resurrected Jesus and how his first action for Mary Magdalene was to go out and tell the joy that was in her heart of the risen Savior And it was the same for the disciples as we read that they were overjoyed when they met their Lord. The world needs to know about the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. And it is the community of Jesus followers who are to do it. We're not to sit back and settle for our little patch alone. We are to shout out to the world the joy that is in our hearts as we know and understand God's grace and mercy on our lives, just as we see it in action on these nations who rightly deserve to be punished, but God did not wipe them off the face of the earth. Rather, he promised them hope for the future. So that's the eight smaller nations. What about the two superpowers, Egypt and Babylon? Again, if you know your biblical history, they are absolutely no friends whatsoever of Israel and never have been. They are, to, they are to receive massive judgment as well. However, the messages that Jeremiah brings to these great nations, it almost seems like a joke. It's the equivalent of a David and Goliath scenario. If you had asked someone in the 1800s, the late 1800s, would the british empire ever fall the answer would probably be no if you answered some, if you asked someone uh, in the early years of this century would the roman empire ever fall the answer would be no is it possible that china and the united states of america could become weak countries from our perspective right now in history the answer would be no And this is the mindset that the people of Jeremiah's time are in. Babylon and Egypt. There are no way, there is no way that these things could happen to these two nations. They are too strong, too powerful, and too mighty. By the time we finish with Jeremiah, Babylon owns everything. Those seven hundred and fifty thousand square miles are Babylonian territory. It is supreme over all the earth. Could it fall? From human eyes, absolutely not. But from the perspective of heaven, God is saying this will happen. So for Egypt, her message of punishment is the first one in chapter 46. The problem with Egypt is she's been boasting. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 46, we read, Who is this that rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging waters? Egypt rises like the Nile, like rivers of surging waters. She says, I will rise and cover the earth. I will destroy cities and their people. What's been used here is the annual event where the Nile floods its banks and surges over the Nile Delta. The pharaohs boast, they boasted that they would rise and cover the earth in the same way. But God warns them in verse 9 that a march is beginning against Egypt. Verse 9 says, charge, O horses, drive furiously, O charioteers, march on, O warriors, men of Cush and Put who carry shields, men of Lydia who draw the bow. Cush Kush is Ethiopia, Put is Somalia, and Lydia is Libya. Uh, just to help you figure out the ge- uh, geography there of the North African kingdoms coming Uh, towards Egypt. But these aren't going to be the nations who are going to take Egypt. In fact, these are Egypt's allies. Cush, Put, uh, and um, Lydia were part of the Egyptian alliance. No, it's the force of Babylon that's going to take Egypt, and these alliances are not going to be worth anything. Because in verse 15, God says, Why will your war- warriors be led low? They cannot stand, for the Lord will push them down. Egypt is told that their proudest item, her military strength, will be pushed down, and Egypt herself will be brought to her knees. In fact, in verse 22, we read, Egypt will hiss like a fleeing serpent as the enemy advances in force, but they will come against her with axes like men who cut down trees. But, as we've seen with other nations, the lesser nations, verse 26 tells us that Egypt will be inhabited as in times past. Egypt is not beyond God's salvation. It will not be wiped off the face of the earth. Then the second superpower in chapter 50 there on page 814 Babylon gets two full chapters here, two quite long chapters, 50 and 51, and in it we read Babylon's punishment, and and chapter 51 reflects quite a lot of what happens in chapter 50. This is really the climax of Jeremiah's book. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. Babylon is finally going to get what it should. For decades, Jeremiah had prophesied that the Babylonians would defeat Judah, Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kidar, and Elam. One by one, Babylon conquered the kingdoms of the Middle East to become the greatest empire in the world, and that was around 612 to 539 BC. But the mighty was now to fall. Like every other nation, they had to answer to God for their sins. Kent Hughes, a commentator describes chapter 50 as the biblical version of what goes around comes around. Dave read for us up to uh, verse 20. Let's read a few verses uh, selected um, in chapter 50 and into 51 there. Verse 24 says this, "'I set a trap for you, O Babylon, and you were caught before you knew it. You were found and captured because you opposed the Lord.'" Chapter 29, summon archers against Babylon, all those who draw the bow, and camp all round her. Let no one escape. Repay her for her deeds. Do to her as she has done. Then just back into verse 26. Come against her from afar, break open her granaries, or granaries, pile her up like heaps of grain, completely destroy her and leave her no remnant. This is total defeat. This is not going to be some little plundering exercise. This is the economy and the social structure of Babylon defeated. Verses 35 to 37, a sword against the Babylonian declares the Lord against those who live in Babylon and against her officials and wise men. "'A sword against her false prophets, they will become fools. "'A sword against her warriors, they will be filled with terror. "'A sword against her horses and chariots and all the foreigners in her ranks. "'They will become women. "'A sword against her treasures, they will be plundered. "'A drought on her waters, they will dry up, for it is a land of idols, "'idols that will go mad with terror.'" 44 to 46, like a lion coming up from Jordan's thickets to a rich pasture pasture land, I will chase Babylon from its land in an instant. Who is the chosen one I will appoint for this? Who is like me? Who can challenge me? And what shepherd can stand against me? Therefore, hear what the Lord has planned against Babylon, what he has purposed against the land of the Babylonians the young of the flock will be dragged away. He will be completely destroyed, their pasture because of them. At the sound of Babylon's capture, the earth will tremble. Its cry will resound among the nations. And as you go into chapter 51, you get much of the same. This is a damning judgment on the world's superpower. But chapter 51 adds how the message is to be delivered. We've seen that Jeremiah is a man of great acts to reinforce the message, and it's no less here. Right at the end of chapter 51, we read what Jeremiah tells the messenger of this punishment, Sariah. He was taken into captivity with Zedekiah, king of Judah, and he was to read it out and then tie tie the scroll to a stone and throw it into the mighty river Euphrates. Then Sariah is to say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her and her people will fall. For Babylon there is not, or there is no hope for the future. This is what is going to happen to the one who has gone against the people chosen by God. She will be destroyed because of the sin she has poured out on the world. See, the God who created this world knows exactly what is going on in his world. He's not ignorant of the hurt and pain. This week we can look at the news and see the the warmongering from North Korea and wonder will it go away? It seems like it won't, but a day will come when North Korea will have no power or authority. It happened, as we know, to the British Empire, the Roman Empire, and to the Babylonian Empire. God's timing is different from ours. That's the key factor that we must recognize as we live in this world for him. Even though his timing is different, his ultimate, ultimate purposes will be fulfilled. Revelation 19 gives us a glimpse of what these purposes are. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. This is the picture of God's salvation plan that he has for us. His grace covering all nations so that all nations will be there, part of that great heavenly multitude who will be the ones shouting hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. God's grace has always been part of his salvation plan. It's his best for us because it's what he gives us even though we don't deserve it. And quickly, what about God's people in all of this? What about the children of Israel who we read so much before this? How are they affected by all of this? There's a little bit about them in chapter 46 where God tells them, don't fear. He says, even though this is going to happen to the nations around you, even though this is going to happen to the nations where you currently are, don't fear because I am your God. You will not be wiped off the face of the earth. Rather, you will be brought home. And then in chapter 50, as we read that damning punishment against Babylon, right in the middle God says, I'm going to bring you home and you're going to feast on the hills of your home country. You are going to enjoy worship with me and you will know the joy of my salvation. And we know through history, we know through Ezra and Nehemiah how the people came back to Jerusalem, how it was rebuilt, how worship was ordered, how they repented and how they worshipped their God. Throughout our study in Jeremiah, we have recognized that at times we can understand what's going on with the exile because we feel like people in exile. The world doesn't want to hear the gospel that we have, nor does it want to give the church a voice where we once had a voice. God brings people into exile for one purpose— Yes, the children of Israel were punished for their unfaithfulness. But the ultimate reason for their exile was so that they would return and know God as their true salvation. That's what he did for them, and that's what he does for us. We may feel that we are not where we should be in this world with influence, and that's okay. That is okay. We have a message that goes beyond our influence. We have a message that goes beyond governments and borders, because the gospel is above everything else in this world. Our God, who is the God who created the world, doesn't fear the world, and neither should we. When we believe in the true gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we will know that nations will come and go, but this message that overjoys our hearts is for every nation at every time. Jeremiah didn't leave Jerusalem, but he certainly was a prophet of the nations. Are we people God's people of the nations? Are we the people who can go into this world to proclaim what is true? Do we actually care about the nations? Are we interested in the 6 o'clock or the 10 o'clock news by what's happening in the world and how we can see God at work? Or what about those God is bringing from the nations to our doorstep? Sometimes it's very quick for us to criticize those who come to find safety, security, and a home here in Northern Ireland. We can accuse folks from other countries of taking our jobs, about taking our money through the government and benefits. That's not how a community of God's people who is focused on God's world should react. Some folks who come from overseas are our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we going to be true world Christians who, like Jeremiah as a prophet to the nations, will go to the nations whether they be across the lands or whether they be coming to our doorsteps. And will we be showing the grace, the grace that has captured us and that God desires to capture this world? Will we go and will we be people who believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son for its salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us, as you call Jeremiah, to be prophets and to be people to the nations. Father, there are people in this world who have never heard of you, who have no access to understanding what the gospel is all about. So help us as we learn more about these people groups, help us as we try to to figure out how we play our part by going or by supporting work overseas or by working here in Belfast with those we find in our workplaces who are not from this land, those on street corners who are not from this land. Help us to see that you love each person that you love this whole world and you give your son for it. So work in us. Not to be armchair critics about it all, but to actually get up and do something because your gospel has the power to transform this world and we say thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.